Tennessee, Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me to explain her new bill to protect kids from being exploited at our border. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll share the latest curious news about UFOs. Follow the Sarah Carter Show wherever you get your podcasts. Dana Lash's Absurd Truth Podcast. When the world lost its mind, when common sense suddenly became an uncommon virtue, Florida was a refuge of sanity, a citadel of freedom for our fellow Americans and even for people around the world. Ron DeSantis has decided to put his people first. Ron DeSantis taking a lot of heat over it, but he's not backing down. Florida's success has been made more difficult by the floundering federal establishment in Washington, D.C. An inflationary spending binge that has left our nation weaker and our citizens poor. It has enacted pandemic restrictions and mandates. It has recklessly facilitated open borders. It has imposed an energy policy that has crippled our nation's domestic production. This has caused many to be pessimistic about the country's future. Some even say that failure... This is a powerful video from a governor who's done quite a lot in in four years time, a little over four years time to change the entire political makeup of his state. And he's got a brand new book that is out. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis now joins us via Skype. His new book, which is out tomorrow. You can pre-order it right now. The Courage to be Free, Florida's Blueprint. For America's Revival. Governor, it's a pleasure to have you. Good to see you. Congrats on the book. That's a powerful video. And that's the the video for the book. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, Dana, I mean, you know, because you you talk to people. People are frustrated with the direction of the country. It seems like particularly the federal government, uh, they make one misstep after another, uh, oftentimes abusing their power and, and going after our freedoms. And people think that America's best days are behind them. Some people think that. And, you know, I get frustrated, too. But I think what we can say in Florida is, you know, there is a better way. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've shown that you can succeed beyond what anybody thought I would be able to do, you know, over the last four years. And it's basically by being true to the principles that made this country great, uh, being willing to, to lead on those principles and to have the courage to stand there when you're taking the fire from the left and the media and not back down. And when you do that, people respond. And I can tell you when I ran for re-election, we had people that would have walked over hot poles barefoot to vote for us because we had their back when it counted. Yeah. And that is actually when you when you talk about how much that has changed, I was just looking over the percentages, the, the most the, the last election, Miami-Dade, Palm Beach. I mean, there's not a single statewide office where a Demo- an elected statewide office that has a Democrat in it right now, it's Republican, the, the legislature, Republican. Uh, areas that have not been Republican in a long time, or really, like I think it's uh, Palm Beach Commissioner, uh, now you have a Republican. That's incredibly significant. Uh, tell me how, I mean, it, I know it took a lot of work. Uh, how, did you, how did you make that happen in four years? Well, I think, as you know, in 2018, I got elected with 32,000 vote margin. And so here I am, 40 years old, youngest governor of the country, taking the helm of the third largest state. And I was advised to trim my sails. You know, don't necessarily rock the boat. It was a close election. And I rejected that advice. I mean, my view is I may have gotten 50 percent of the vote, but I earned 100 percent of the executive power. And I'm going to use it to advance the agenda I promised I would do and the best interest of the state of Florida. 
So we went, we had a good understanding of our constitutional powers. We knew the pressure points were. Uh, we were not taking polls. I never took a poll the whole time uh, as governor. I think you lead and then you shape public opinion. You don't need to, re to respond to public opinion. That's and we said we're going on, and then we're going on offense. I'm not going to sit there and let the media define the terms of the debate or the left. And so we were constantly out, out there raising issues, not being willing to shirk from these fights. And I think what ended up happening is it was hard for the left and the media to keep up with us. And we really had a toward pace. So we, we did all that. We, we took all the issues that came before us. And then, of course, COVID was a big thing and our state handled it well. And so we went from winning by 32,000 votes to 1.5 mil million votes. You mentioned mm -hmm. winning Miami-Dade County, 70% Latino. We won by double digits. You don't do that unless you're convincing people who used to not vote for Republicans to vote for us. And I think the exciting thing about it is, yes, the results, and we're very happy with that. But, you know, I led in a way that drew a lot of fire from the media. And a lot of elected officials don't like that. And a lot of people thought that I was not going to be successful politically, particularly during COVID when I was doing things that were getting frowned upon by the establishment and the media. But I think what we've shown is, you know, boldness, boldness is your friend. Um, if you do it, there's a lot of political payoff for it. And here's the thing. If it doesn't work out politically, at least you did the right thing when you had power. And that's true. And that you could really see, I mean, you won independent voters by more than 15 points, 60 percent of Hispanic voters, the majority of women voters, highest percentage of black voters from any Republican gubernatorial candidate in like our our generation's history in Florida. Uh, that is that's ha hasn't been seen in any other state, including my state of Texas, where we have a Republican governor and Republican legislature. But we didn't see those those type of margins. Is that down to I would imagine you attribute it to the issues that you tackled and the way that you tackled those issues, correct? Yeah, look, I think, Dana, when people see that you're willing to stand up for them when it's not easy, you know, they end up having a, a loyalty to support you going forward because they remember that. I mean, they remember me standing in the fire for their kids' schools and the jobs and the businesses being open and all that. And and also, I think that you prove as a leader, are you someone they can trust or not? I think even my biggest critics would say, if Governor DeSantis says he's going to do something, he is going to do it. He doesn't just say and, and do platitudes. Once he says he's doing it, you can take that to the bank. And so I think people appreciate having a leader where you know where he stands. Uh, and you don't have to worry about that. And there's some people that don't agree with me on a lot of stuff that still voted for me because I had their back. You know, I had people that voted for Bernie Sanders that voted for me <laughs> because I saved their jobs with the vax mandates. Yes. They were going to lose their jobs to some of these Bernies. Now, granted, we're not going to agree on, on a lot of other stuff, but that was enough where they saw that I was the one guy willing to fight for him. You and we're talking with Governor Ron DeSantis. His new book, The Courage to Be Free, uh, is out tomorrow. You write about fighting wokery in your book, uh, particularly, obviously, fighting for our students. Now, the town in which I live in Texas, in Texas, of all places, was the first town to actually battle this at the ballot box. And it was a bunch of grassroots parents. And amongst the leadership of those grassroots parents were Cuban immigrants, but they were all, you know, like white supremacist adjacency. That's the narrative. Um, they successfully took back uh, our school board here, at, which it was amazing. I did not realize that you were actually endorsing uh, in local school board races because, I mean, I, I if all politics are local, why are more governors not doing that? That that is something I've never seen before. 
Well, what we found in Florida, under our constitution, school board races are nonpartisan. So if you were to run, Dana, it'd just be your name, no party. If I ran, it'd just be my name. Now, you know, these are low profile races. So what happens is the money that goes into that is from the school unions. So they get behind a union candidate, they flood the money, and they basically appeal to voters in red counties and try to dress their candidate up as if they share the, are the county's values. And a lot of times they don't. So what we did was just shine a light. We were able to communicate to Republican voters and independent voters which candidates I was supporting and why, and then being able to point out who was being backed by the unions. And so we got into 34 school board races we're able to win 29 of them. We now have conservative majorities in Miami-Dade County, the, the largest uh, school district in, in uh, the state, 2.8 million people, Sarasota, all these other places we were able to flip. And so the thing is, is we've done a lot in the state and, and you guys have covered parents' rights in education. We do do school choice, ban CRT. That's all very important. But the state, and a state as big as Florida, the state government cannot be micromanaging everything involving education. You need those school board members to be the first line of defense, to be able to stand for the parents and stand for solid curriculum and fight the indoctrination. And so this is going to make Florida so much better to have these school board members. And oh, by the way, we've also put out our hit list for 2024. There's some liberal school board members in conservative districts that we're going to target and make sure we elect people that share the community's values. I love the network that's created with us. Talking with Governor Ron DeSantis, his new book, The Courage to Be Free, out tomorrow. So in this book, too, you know, you're talking about door knocking and going and meeting people. And you had your wife, First Lady Casey DeSantis, with you. Um, you y'all were scootering from house to house. Tell me about mm-hmm. this. So this is the first time we I ran, 2012, running for the U.S. Congress. I started with no name ID, no money, had never run before, and we had a seven-way primary, and Casey and I would go. I bought her a little scooter. I had a Ford F-150. We'd load the scooter in the bed of the truck, (laughs) go to the neighborhood. She'd get on the scooter, go to all the Republican primary voters' houses on one side of the neighborhood. I'd start on the other side, do the same thing. We'd knock. But here's the thing about it, Dana. When you stand there and listen to somebody, one, if you just look them in the eye, ask for their vote, that's the best way to get the vote. But a poll, you can poll things. It doesn't tell you people's real concerns in their own words. And so I was on the doorsteps listening to thousands of people in that congressional district, and and I heard some of the the problems that saw with the Republican establishment in Washington, for example. They got so frustrated that people would get elected saying all the right things Then they'd go to D.C. and they would go native and they would say to me, they'd be like, I like you. I like what you're saying, but don't you go and be like them. How do I know you're going to do what you say you do? And one of the things I was able to say was, listen, um, I was a blue collar kid. I played baseball in college and went to law school at, at Yale and Harvard. And if you could go through Yale and Harvard and come out more conservative than when you went in, then you're going to handle the swamp in D.C. and keep your values intact. And, you know, I like to think that I did that because they were very happy with my performance and eventually elected me governor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Talking with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the courage to be free out tomorrow. Uh, Just I I have to congratulate you because earlier today and you talked about uh, the pressure that Bob Chapek was feeling with the uh, woke fight with Disney. 
Uh, you get into your book and how he was really being pressured by a lot of Democrats, by you know, by other people in Disney uh, to get involved in this. He ultimately did not listen to common sense. But today you signed that removal of that special tax status, uh, that Reedy Creek uh, district from Disney. I did not realize how much power they actually had. I mean, this was a corporation that uh, I mean, this was crony uh, preferred status. And now they have to compete like everyone else. I think your quote was, uh, Disney is going to be treated like SeaWorld is treated. Tell me about this. Well, you know, these companies, I think, really play with fire when they get involved in some of these issues, especially Disney, which is a fleet-friendly company. You're supposed to be catering to, to parents with young kids. And Dana, when I'm dealing with this issue, I'm not just dealing with it as a governor. I'm dealing with it like a dad with a six, a four, and a two-year-old at home. So my wife and I are sensitive about this. And so they were doing it the company's values have obviously changed, and that's bad. But what's the problem is they had this self-governing status that no other company in Florida has ever enjoyed, no other individual. And so when they're engaged in activism against our parents' rights bill, we in Florida are effectively subsidizing their activism through this special arrangement. And so it was our view that you cannot have an arrangement like that. First of all, it's not good policy, period. But to have a company... That's values are so divergent from where we're at in terms of parents' rights. We had to act. And so, so we started it last year. We had to do things because they have they have a municipal debt and all this. And the media was trying to say, oh, if you don't let Disney govern themselves, then all Floridians are going to pay more taxes and debt. And actually, Bill, we signed today. Disney loses their self-governing status. They have to abide by all the laws of the state of Florida. They lose their exemption. They can now pay their they will now pay fair share of taxes and they are solely responsible for the municipal debt. So everything we said we would do, we've delivered everything the media said was going to happen again, turns out to be another lie. That's a, a, a huge, a huge achievement. One last quick question for you. I know uh, we're we're coming up against a hard break and we appreciate your time. We'll have to have you come back and talk with us. Uh, the. The makeup of the legislature, you get into everything that you've done in your book, like basically, you know, your start, everything that you you went through with the lockdown, uh, you know, the 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 Stop Woke Act, uh, which, by the way, does mandate the teaching of of black history, uh, unlike what media narratives are telling everybody. But with the new makeup of the Florida legislature, demonstrably more conservative than when you when you first took office and you're able to get so many more things done, including constitutional carry which i know is working its way through the system this is this is awesome this would be another state to add uh tell me about this because you would you sign this if it makes it to your desk you will sign this oh no of course so when i was running 18 data remember because you were down in florida for parkland in the aftermath and they passed a, a significant gun control i was a candidate and i said i would have vetoed that because i think it violated second amendment and fifth amendment due process rights that was not necessarily an easy position to take at the time because people were understandably upset. Right. There was a desire to just do something. But my view is, is constitutional rights don't mean much if in those difficult times you abandon them. And so I ran and got elected saying I would have vetoed that bill. At the same time, a lot of those members early on uh, had voted for it and there was not the appetite for them to do constitutional carry. So I worked with the current speaker last campaign. I said he's committed if we can get a big majority, this is going to get done. So it will get done. And there's 25 states uh, that allow you to carry, don't require the permission slip. Florida will make a majority of the states 
uh, that have constitutional carry. That's a huge achievement. Congratulations and congrats on the book. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, The Courage to Be Free. You can pre-order now. It's out officially tomorrow. Governor, appreciate your fight. We'd love to have you back. Thank you for all you're doing, not just for Florida, but for America. We appreciate it. Godspeed. Thank you. Of course. Take care. I've talked a lot about the Caltech KSG shotgun over the years, and it's no secret how much I love it. It's become the go-to shotgun for law enforcement and home defense, and for a really good reason. Uh, but why am I such a huge fan of the Caltech KSG? Well, like everything that Caltech invents, it created an entirely new class of shotgun. And the one that started it all is the KSG shotgun. It's the first 12-gauge pump-action shotgun chambered for three-inch shells. And with its dual tube mags, offers a capacity of 12 plus one. So that's six rounds in each tube plus one chambered. If you prefer two and three quarter inch shells, even better because the KSG holds seven plus seven plus one. That's 15 shells. You cannot ignore the downward shell ejection either. It makes the KSG truly ambidextrous and ejects shells away from your face. It's brilliant design. See the Keltec KSG up close and personal at KeltecWeapons.com. That's K E L. TECweapons.com. Again, to find out more, visit KeltechWeapons.com. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Keltech. So here's an interesting headline. This actually comes by way of Axios. Americans are increasingly foregoing or delaying marriage, a dramatic shift from societal norms a generation ago. Over the last 50 years, the marriage rate in the United States has dropped by nearly 60%. We need to be changing kind of our perspective on this stuff because it all you can't have a healthy country without a healthy family unit. And that's just the bottom line. Really, it is. Uh, according to, well, I've been seeing a lot of pictures from friends of mine who live in California. They've been dealing with extreme rain and snow. Snow falling in places in California where I'd never seen it. You know, climate change, right? I thought it was supposed to be melting, though. Oh, never mind. Narratives change. But they've had a lot of uh, closed roads and a lot of rescues. Uh, I mean, and people suffering from hypothermia, uh, like in and around, like Encino, California. It's crazy. That's that's just wow. Uh, It's been a cold. They had a cold snap, though. The Guardian writes about a return to medieval medicine. And I'm sorry, but if we're going to start going back to the days of maggots and leeches, no thank you. But they say that they have to figure something out because there's been a rise in global antibiotic resistance. So now they have to look at different treatments. And some scientists are trying to turn back the clock to find effective alternatives. That's actually crazy that we would have to do that because antibiotic resistance has gotten so bad because it's being abused. And then also, I honestly think we've got slower development because everything with the excise taxes and R&D cuts from Obamacare and now China being you know running all the inputs for all of it. It's sad. Nearly half. This is really sad. Nearly half of the New York City uh, grads. This is a, a public school graduates who head to local community colleges. They're actually forced into remedial classes to survive their first semester, according to new data obtained by the New York Post. Amid chronic absenteeism, widespread grade inflation, and a failure to prepare students for higher education, city school kids are being shoved through an educational revolving door, says the Post, without learning, according to the experts whom they interviewed. They said that 47% of all of the new grads had to take remedial English. That's crazy. So wait, where's the return for the investment of the tax dollars in education? And how much does the lockdown also play into these increase, this increase in numbers? With all of our money going overseas, apparently, yay, 
Food stamp cuts days away. Millions of Americans are bracing for even tougher times in the grocery aisle. Now, this is according to NBC. They said that the pandemic aid boosted food stamp benefits. That gets cut next week. So they say now a lot of lower income Americans are going to confront smaller balances in their accounts. Now, isn't this just like the left, though? We're going to we're going to make it easy. I like Ben Franklin's quote. I'm going to abridge it here, but it had something to the effect of, you know, I believe in helping the poor, but I don't believe in making them easy in it. Like I want to help them get out of it. It was his whole point, you know. Make sure that there are the government's not squelching opportunities and that people can can market their talents and their skills and they can you know, you're not punishing contract workers like gig workers. You're not you're not punishing businesses with crazy regulations and licensing and regulatory you know burdens, all of this stuff. They they say that they act like they're they're doing so much for our fellow man. And then, look, they're very quietly going to just let this. They had the story of a 63 year old veteran based in Rockford, Illinois, a man named Charles Jones, he received an enhanced monthly SNAP benefit of $281 under the temporary program. His payments are going to plummet to $23. It's a minimum monthly amount when this thing ends next week. So he said he's going to have a serious problem. And he relies on boxed pantry deliveries. He goes, oh, but he has a heart condition, so he says he can't eat much of their contents. So uh, first off, why is a veteran like this in this situation? Oh, but you know what? We got to send that $444 million to Yemen. It's way important. We got to send another $50 billion to Ukraine. Some pensions got to be covered, guys. We got to pay for their pensions. You know, forget our obligation to the people who served in our own country. We got we to pay their pensions. Jeez. So this is being cut. Remember, though, I thought it was the Democrats who said that the Republicans were going to, like, cut all the stuff for the poor people, Kane. Oh, yeah. Medicaid's going to cut 14 million Americans' coverage. Oh, yeah. Wait, there's more Medicaid rolls. They haven't been checked since the onset of the lockdown. And the states are asking residents to re-enroll to see if they still qualify. And now it's estimated that millions are going to lose their Medicaid coverage in the coming months as the government begins rechecking the eligibility of those currently insured by the government-sponsored program. Hmm. They said that 14 million people may end up losing coverage. That's pretty significant so democrats are cut they're just all this time they had control see this is what even when they have control of dc they don't do a damn thing i'm just talking about them making promises to their base that they can't keep remember how they said free tuition that didn't happen that's now that's going to get slammed down in the courts remember how they said we're going to make it to where you don't have to pay your rent and they knew that that was going to get overturned by the courts they knew it but they thought they could sucker people in and, and pay them off with a promise that they knew they couldn't keep. And they were, gonna, they were counting on that, that litigation period between the time that they issued that edict and then the time that the courts overturned it to satiate the people who were voting for them so that they could believe that their vote was returned. They, they got a return on the investment of that vote with this. That is, what, that is what they think of their base. And now this. They control D.C., and they didn't do a damn thing to address any of this. What did they do? That's all we heard. Russia. All we heard. For how long now? And in the meantime, the base that they keep making these promises to that they can't keep, they're the ones suffering. Actually, we all are. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. <laughs> it's time for Florida Man. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so first up, 
<laughs> uh, a, I got a couple here. <sighs> this is at a Wawa. A Florida man was arrested after his pants fell down at Wawa. Uh, a police officer was conducting a property check last Thursday night at a Wawa gas station. He entered the men's restroom and saw 57-year-old Rudolph McRae standing at the sink trying to pull up his pants. When McRae turned to look at the officer, his pants fell down from his waist to his ankles and a bag of crack fell right on the floor. And this sounds like a movie. As the baggie landed at McRae's feet, the officer saw that it contained an off-white rock-like substance. So the McCray said, no, no, I just found it. It's not mine. And but then he had more in his shirt pocket and apparently in his pocket. So he was taken to the police station. He's charged with possession of controlled substance. He's in Lake County Jail where bond was set at ten thousand dollars. Now, at the time he was out at the time of his arrest, McCray was already out on bond for a drug arrest that, that was on uh, November of last year. So and we got a villager. We don't have time for the music, but they got into a brawl because of someone's computer was disconnected from the Internet. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of Dana Lash's Absurd Truth Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me to explain her new bill to protect kids from being exploited by cartels and human smugglers at the border. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Blackburn also urges President Biden to get much tougher on China, I'll also dig into why Biden's bloated budget is dangerous for our security. And I'll share the latest curious news on UFOs. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.